take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. But I'm a man now. What's the plan now? Gotta get it done. No time for fun now. Take me back. What's going on, Jordy? What's How up, are Mike? you? I'm great. How you doing? Welcome back. Thanks for having me on my own show. It's nice to be back. I've been gone. I've been. I don't even know where I've been. It's been a minute. It's been a few weeks since we got back in the studio. But you're here. It's Mike Young. Stories that need to be told. Sitting here with Jordy. And since the last time I was in the studio, I have been in Portland with Saget. New York opening eight shows with Sebastian. I'm just living life in the opening slot. I wouldn't call it, let's say life is a feature or life is, life is a sidekick. It's just two-man shows, which I, which I love. And wh- what's that like? I mean, look, every comic knows the sweetest spot to be in is the middle spot. But it, like Sebastian, Beacon Theater, 3,000 people sold out eight shows in a week and a half period. It's just me and him, so it's not a middle spot. It's me opening, so I'm taking a. Li- I gotta take that little, you know, eight second bullet while the crowd's still settling in. And not to toot my own horn, but I gotta say, it was a crushing, great, great eight shows at the Beacon. I mean, Seinfeld was there, and Tony Danza popped up, and here comes uh, uh, uh. What's his name? Fucking who does Rappaport imitate? Oh, oh, Danny Aiello was there. Aiello. Danny Danny Aiello was there. He came backstage. Sebastian is blowing up on a monster level. I was just there. I'm his boy for 15 years, and doing those shows was just amazing. And then on our last two shows on the Saturday, Showtime filmed Sebastian's special. Right. So they shot me. So I got. I'm getting a dope ass Showtime uh, tape, high quality. And all the executives from Showtime were like, yo, bro, who are you? You just crushed it. And I'm like, I am the most known, unknown, dip out of stand-up, go direct a movie, but come back to stand-up, dude, you know. Nice. And that's that's what I love. It was incredible. And uh, so for that set, Beacon Theater, obviously one of the most iconic theaters 3,000 seats. That's vintage, old school, craftsmanship, beautiful. I mean, elegant, you know, class theater. New York City. Heart of New York City. Broadway and 75th. Ah. Every day I was just getting dropped off on the corner. I said, I'm good, bro. Let me just, let me walk a little bit. Let me get my head straight. Let me walk a little bit. So as the opener in that situation, how many minutes are you doing before Sebastian comes on? First of all, between 15 and 25 minutes depending on you know however everybody's feeling that night so sebastian the first the first gig i did 20 and then i think i was just doing like 20 to 25 every night but the funniest was and i was you know i just go out there with confidence and the stage is so beautifully set and the lighting's so dope that you don't feel you don't feel that you're in you don't have to feel like you're in front of 3000 you know what i mean you can feel like you're comfortable Excuse me. You right. can feel like you're comfortable in front of like the dopest l- packed living room, you know, and there's a light shining on you. So you can only see like the first seven rows of people and the rest is just 
you know, obviously when they start laughing, you feel what a wave of, of laughter is. Yeah, what's that like? Like that wave of laughter, applause, you know, kind of like gasps to some of the things that you're saying. That, it, I mean, that's a magnified. It's like you're riding a wave. I mean, there is no other way to put it. You hit a joke, it hits, and it's like you hear from the first row, ha, and then like the 20th row, ha, and then the top is like the end. You have to like wait it out. You got to have a whole different rhythm for playing in front of a large crowd than you do, obviously, at the original room, you know, at the comedy store in front of six homeless people and two movie stars. <laughs> and uh, so. You're saying that Showtime, which was filming Sebastian, and obviously, you know, the listeners of Stories That Need to Be Told are aware of Sebastian because he was on the podcast. Yep. Great episode. And, you know, what's it like being on stage and being filmed by, like, a Showtime crew? How many cameras is that? Do you have to play towards different cameras, different parts of the stage? Is there more preparation for something like that than, say, some of the other shows that you did? It's a different mindset is what it is. So you know that there's going to be, like, a bright light camera to your right, and there's going to be a giant camera to your left, which is, you know, you're just basically... There's, you know, they're machines that are in front of you, so it's not just the, you know, 3,000 people in front of you. They've got to take out, you know, 50 people in this section to put cameras in. So you still do the exact same thing. Mentally, you just have to go into your head and go, I'm just doing another show. Don't think about the cameras. Play to this guy, this guy, and this guy. You know what I mean? Left, center, dude on the right. Do your exact thing. And I did, and it just, it couldn't have gone any better to the point where, like, Literally, Showtime came to me afterwards, like the head of development who of, of comedy, and he's like, hey, man, here's my card. Please stay in touch with me. We want to see what you're doing. What's going on? Where have you been? <laughs> I'm like, it's a long-ass story, bro. Yeah. Check stories that need to be told. Yeah, I've been check everywhere. Check out the podcast. Yeah, check out the podcast. You'll know why I haven't been you know, on my stand-up game, even though my game is tight right now. But it just made me, not that I ever thought... I was out of love with stand-up, but it just made me go, man, this is the deal. Stand-up is the greatest feeling ever. And it is, there is a similar high when you're directing, only in that you're in a zone. Right. So there's no, you, there, you're, there's no time to think, and there's no, you're just in a zone. Obviously, so when you're directing, you're just like, 800 things are coming at you, answering questions, yes, yes, yes. You look up, and it's five hours later. Stand-up, when it's going right, it's the same kind of vibe. You're in a zone. You blow out your emotions, and you look up, and boom, a half hour's gone. Is that how long you think you did for, uh, say, that Showtime set? You know, 15, 20 minutes? Because something like that, that's pretty much what, like, a a set on Comedy Central, like a special is, Totally. That's what I was thinking. I mean, believe me, that's where my head is at. It's like, Mm -hmm. I think I shot my Comedy Central half-hour special Thank you, Showtime, for paying for it. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? They get, they're about to give me just a beautiful, you know, tape of me doing a half hour, which is perfect. So, but I, I'm ready for an hour. You know what I mean? Even though I have never had a half hour special, and it's like, you know, it just goes back to my career has been zigzaggy because of the, mo- you know, I got into movies and writing and kind of took focus out of stand up and, you know, I'm sort of, I kind of found out recently that I've been, I don't know if I talked about this, but like I've been a little unmanageable. Yeah, you have talked about that. I talked about that. So like it was brought up to me again (laughs) in in New York. And Uh, who who brought that up to you? Sebastian's manager. uh, (laughs) Because I had signed with them for a minute. Like for a minute, I was with their company. Right. And, you know, I'm just, I just, 
I know that I'm just wired. I'm a, I'm a certain type of personality, man, and I am not unmanageable at all. The first manager I had was five years. We had a great run, five years. But after that, if I had a manager and it wasn't flowing like that, I'd get out quick, just like I do with relationships. <laughs> if I feel it not, you know, stagnating or if I feel a hiccup, I'm somebody that like, I'll try to make it work for a quick minute, but I kind of can see the writing on the wall and then I'm gone. So it was kind of a touchy situation because Sebastian's actual manager, he's, he's got two or three that are in his camp. They're awesome. And if they were my squad, I'd be there 100%. But I had other people at the company that I was dealing with, and they're great people too. We just weren't clicking. Yeah, you got to have someone, that synergy. Got to have the synergy. And I'm somebody that goes at a certain pace in his life and his work. I'm a slow mover. I'm a slow thinker. I'm not a slow thinker, but like I like steady. You know what I mean? Don't come at me with any aggressiveness. It throws me back to a childhood of, <laughs> of roughhousing and you know protecting myself, and I want to come out swinging like a cat in a corner. So I don't react well when you're like more like assertive yeah. with me. And correct me if I'm wrong, but certain comics are built to be road dogs. Like Sebastian... You know, I because you know Sebastian's a great guy. I'm a huge fan of him as a comic and also a person. So when I see that he's like, I have shows here and I have shows here, like yeah, he's playing the Beacon, but then I'll see he's playing you know a, a, a couple hundred seats in yeah. Long Island, but he's like just everywhere. He's all over the place, and you know that's got to be a certain mentality. Like I I noticed Sebastian loves to do that, even like. Brian Callen, he yeah. loves to be on the road. I've well, heard him talk about that. Yeah, he's a different animal. Sebastian, oddly enough, he doesn't love the travel and the you know his back hurts and shit. You know what I mean? Like he, it's not like he loves the actual experience of the road. Road dogs like a Callen, you know, they actually do enjoy go to the hotel, check in, walk around the city, eat the bread, try the cheese, get some <laughs> wine. You know what I mean? There's a different mentality. I think Sebastian, and it's showing by his career right now, it's showing that he wants to travel less and do bigger shows, which right. is, is just naturally evolving for him. So I don't know if necessarily he's been a road dog, no doubt. Yeah, I, I mean, I 40 mean, weeks on the, you know, a year on the road yeah. in tiny shit towns. You know, he's done the road hard. So, but his, uh, you know, I think his Aren't You Embarrassed special became a tipping point for him. And they started to see sales totally. spike in a gigantic way. And I asked him, I, I asked his manager, I was like, when did you see this happen? She's like, after Aren't You Embarrassed came out. Right. You know? And it, it's just, he's just, you know, look at it, I'll say it again. He's like one of the only dudes I actually laugh at. Yeah, he's, he's tremendous. And, I mean, he is such a great model of success for a comic just by putting himself out there and just constantly being, you know, coming up with new material over and over again. Always thinking of a bit. He's always got bits. He never runs. He's like the Woody Allen type of shit. He just keeps going forward with the bits. And I know when he's trying to run a bit with me, because he'll start off a kind con- do you think that when you get in an Uber, you're going to be 100%? It's like, yo, I know you're doing the bit. It's funny. No matter what you say, it's funny. Keep moving. Yeah, uh, but he does not run out of bits because he just lives his bits, and right. that's that's the artist. I mean, he is he's a real deal artist, and he, like you were saying, for young dudes coming up, I watched him go from a non-physical, more of a verbal comic to a real. Tr- he is a physical comic. He's evolved into that. 
his shit went in a whole nother he he had a whole nother element and the only person i could think of like that was like an old like a dude like george carlin who went through multiple machinations of personality while doing comedy right you know and okay so I have a question. As a fan of your comedy, you know, since I wasn't there for, you know, the this string of shows that you've been doing around the country, and we'll get into the more, you know, more that you've been doing. We're starting with New York. But, you know, you're saying that, you know, you've never done a half hour. Now you're saying you're ready for an hour. So what's your evolution been like? And has there has any of the bits that you've been working on? Because behind the scenes, I've seen you with the notebooks and I've seen you in front of, you know, the six people, the two homeless guys and the movie star, you know, with, with these bits. While you were gone, did any of those bits just click and oh you my got God. to work them out in front of 3,000 people and now they're go-tos for you? The most beautiful thing in the world was that that happened, but I wasn't going on stage in front of 3,000 to say, I'm going to work a new bit. <laughs> I just got into such a zone that I started tagging my bits. And so I came up with like four, five, six, seven new tags on, you know, on one bit. And I just, it just like, it's just like I, I was just breathing life into the comedy because nice. I was in that moment. Mm-hmm. So like my whole bit about like divorced friends, I'm sorry you're going through it, but quit trying to hang out with single Mike. Right. You know what I mean? The, I started tagging that thing in front of 3,000 just because I was in the zone and it just started coming out and it was working. And I mean, it was like I haven't had a moment like that in years, like really, like in years. And, you know, I'm I'm somebody that's constantly writing, but the brain is a weird thing with me, man. Like my brain, if I'm working on a movie, it's hard for me to like just switch gears and go write your stand up right now. And you know what I mean? If I'm editing something, it's hard for me to go get back to funny. So... Yeah, it's, this was that the road has been beautiful for me lately. It's, I'm loving it. They're like different types of spider webs. Some, you know, the com- the stand-up comedy is like a little bit smaller, but you know, very tight threads. Whereas, you know, your movie brain, which we'll also talk about, is just you know overlapping and just constantly going from you know to the to the the third act, to the first act, to the second act. You know, it's it's. I'm sure it can be daunting, and you know, to be able to multitask as well as you do i mean is definitely a gift but I, you know i could hear what you're saying you know i'm glad you think it's a gift but i actually don't think i'm that gifted at it like like i maybe i am i don't know i can't fucking tell if i'm retarded or if i'm fucking really really smart i, I can't tell but i'm telling you the doing the movie stuff i wasn't good at puzzles as a kid all right you know what i mean like Writing a movie, if you're like if you're doing it, whatever. If sometimes it's non-linear, it's a puzzle. You know what I mean? So then you're trying to like f- make this puzzle work, while at the same time you're just trying to like check your gut and make sure it all feels right. So, I guess just I, I guess you're just right. It's just it's daunting. I, it is daunting. And I don't, I, I, sometimes I go, man, man. I wish I wasn't saying that it was daunting because I'm living my dream, and I gotta I want to click my attitude a different way and say. I'm lucky to at this moment just to be I'm being paid to write things that I love so I'm lucky but yes writing is daunting you know talk to Doug Allen he hates writing and he writes all day he hates it right I mean for someone who wasn't very good at puzzles you figured out a way to create puzzles for a living because that's what stand-up comedy is that's what uh, you know feature films television series pilots that's what it is. You're putting building blocks together to make 
a, you know, a, a finished product. So totally, you know, it's uh, it's it's been fun to watch. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. So what else has been going on? Where you been? So I was in Portland with Saget. Six shows with Saget in Portland. So... I think I told you I'm writing something with Bob and for Bob. You told We're, me, but oh, I didn't tell all my, my all my peeps. Yo, so check it out. This has been fun. So you know I've been on the road with Saget. We've done hundreds of shows together. He's my boy. I got a bunch of you know. If you look at my Instagram, he's the real Mike Young. He's on there all the time. We've been road dogs together for seven years. About two three months ago, he starts to you know. We have dinner. Me, Saget, and my lawyer. We have dinner one night. My lawyer is a big time, great lawyer. He's just got, he's gangster. He's just badass. Like I get checks from my man as a loser. I, 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 I just call my lawyer and go, thank you. I didn't even <laughs> know I had a back end deal. And we sit there, and my lawyer just says to me, he's like, man, he's like, I've known Bob for thirty years. Like he has known Bob for thirty years. He's like, there's, there's got to be a show for him. There's like something for him. Like he's so great. People love him so much. I brought it up to Bob, and ironically, it was the same time Fuller House was starting to come out, and we're on the road, and I'm like, Bob, you know, for what it's worth, bro, I know you're going to look for, like, one of these big-time showrunner dudes to, like, come craft a show for you, but I got your voice, bro. I know your voice. I got it. I know what it is. And he's like, you know what? You're right. You're right. Nobody knows my voice right now better than you. You're hilarious. I love the movie that you put me in. You know, Bob was in a stand-up guy. Which is now on Netflix. Yeah, stand-up guy, now on Netflix. Streaming on streaming on Netflix. Yeah, very cool. And so we just started to go at it. So I came up with a summary or a, a, a treatment for him. And I, I don't want to get too into the details of what the show is going to be, but it's a half-hour comedy in the tone of a Louis, obviously something like that. And Bob's the star, and he plays, you know, Bob has some hilarious neuroses, and he's just got a lovable character, and he's not just ha-ha funny, you know what I mean? He goes deep, so we decided to, like, do a real show, you know, based on his true character, setting him in a different type of world, and I I just can't get into all the details just because it's not, you know, we're not done, and I know Bob would just, you know, he doesn't want to out there too much but bottom line is he had enough faith in me I started writing it and he basically just hit me with like this is the best thing anybody's written for me he's like this feels the most alive and being a guy that's been in the game 40 some years like he has I take that as a huge compliment even though I have a hard time taking compliments I take it as a big compliment and it's really hilarious working with him because I'm a solo artist I just am stand up is solo Writing, I, I write solo. I've never written with someone before. And so I have to go away on my own, and I write five, six, seven pages, and then give it to Bob, and then we meet up, you know, and then we go through the process. Some guys are like writing teams where they just ping pong. We do ping pong a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I got to go away and do my thing. It's just the way my brain works. I sink into it, and I just I dive in, and I, you know, that's, I, I, that's how I focus. You know, I'm not good at, uh, you know, a bunch of people in a room. So it's been a super fun process so far, and we're three quarters of the way done with the pilot, plus six episodes outlined, and the plan is just to take it to market and see what happens. And I feel 
and look, he's my boy. So, you know, he was, he was, he was like coughing and shit on the road and like, you know, kind of maybe gaining a little weight. And I, I put his ass in check. I was like, listen, bro, you need to start putting good shit in your body. We got a TV show to do. You got to look at yourself as this is chapter three of your life. And if you want to get to a hundred, start eating some fucking berries and nuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Throw the bread out the window and, uh, you know. Maybe you'll you'll be able to bang if you get the chance. <laughs> well, you know, uh, now that we're in the studio, maybe when you guys are you know solid with the pilot, maybe when you guys are kind of more solidified in what you're gonna do and how you're gonna go about it, maybe we'll have some people sitting in these open seats and you guys can ping pong around the script and the characters for the the podcast audience. Hundred percent. I mean, look, I could. I, I feel like I could probably say a couple things. Like, can I? I don't know. Should I? You know, it's completely yeah. up to you. I mean, look, I we're sitting here. He's got funny friends in the pilot, obviously. You know, Bob is Bob. Uh, just trust me when I tell you. He's surrounded by a hilarious cast of characters. I trust you. And look, this is right now. I mean, we didn't open with this, but this is episode one of volume three. This is another chapter of these stories that need to be told. And it's fun. And it's also enlightening. It's all you know. People are going to get to see the highs and the lows of this entertainment business. It's you know when things are going great, it's great, and when things aren't going great, they're not. There's things that we've talked about on this show that are still gestating. There's things that have been pitched that were no's. There are things that haven't been pitched that may be yeses. Totally. It's just kind of how it goes. There's you cannot just pin the tail on the donkey in this town. There's you can have something that you think is a hundred percent slam dunk and it's a it's an airball. That's why I'm just hoping that this new world opens up and that you can put your content out there for a decent price and you can let the public decide. Absolutely. So that we don't have to go to the motherfucking seven people that run the town and pitch shit. Because I don't I don't my whole life I've never been that guy. Like I'm just I already I know what's good. I, I know what sucks and I know that at least 10 people are going to like what I do. So how do we that's, you know, that's where I think the industry is going. I think power to the people. That's kind of I hope so, man. What's happening? I I think personally, you know, as a producer of podcasts, I think that table reads within podcasts could be one of the next big things just because it's immediate crowdsourcing it's immediate for people to see where your head's at well now you're talking about old school now you're coming full circle back to old school theater on radio you know what i mean you're doing yeah. a play on radio to, so that's I, I love that I to mean, a worldwide audience yeah absolutely i'm totally down like what bob and i will be finished with this thing no joke like in a week I am totally down to get some actors in here, and I already know who the actors are going to be to play the different roles, and we will get them in here. We'll do a table read. Let's do it. I think that would be a great social experiment to really kickstart something fun. I love that idea. I love that idea, Jordy. Fucking tableread.com. Tableread.podcast.stories that need to be told, episode two, volume three, coming soon. Coming soon. Yeah, so so we were in Portland, you know, six shows in Portland. We had a great time. Super cool city. I'd never been there before. Uh, marijuana completely legal on every level. Oh, I walked downstairs. I was like, "Can I take a tour of this place?" They're like, "You could have whatever you want." <laughs> so I mean, it was just like, "Wow!" And the food trucks are off the chain, amazing. They got like these food trucks in the downtown area. It's like five star food truck. So 
it was uh yeah we had a great run we played helium comedy club which is super dope and rocked it every night and it's like that was it's so funny because i went from an old school comedy club that seats 250 every night packed and literally Sunday morning, I woke up at 4 a.m., I got on a 6 a.m. flight to New York City, treated myself to first class. I was like, fuck this. I don't care if it's expensive. I can't go six hours on an airplane at 6 in the morning unless I'm comfortable. Put myself on a plane, 6 a.m. flight to New York, get to New York at 2.15 their time, go put my shit in the hotel, get a cab, go to the venue. I got a 5 o'clock show with Sebastian. Wow. That was bananas. That was the travel schedule for me to New York. And then, boom, then the, the then we had the run at the Beacon Theater. And I actually, I actually had a three, four-day window where I could kick it. I went to Jesse's house. You know, I went out to Jesse's house, and I actually spent four days alone on a lake by myself in my boy's super beautiful home and just got work done like really and it's like he's got this beautiful house where there's a there's a steam room there's a sauna there's a gym so i'm basically like in my own gigantic super comfortable health club right you know and i just was able to get my shit done i woke up i wrote i took a steam i went back i wrote i took a swan i didn't swim because i i went halfway in the water to be honest (laughs) It, it was freezing the lake uh so, and I came back and I wrote and then, you know, nighttime came and it's like, I looked up after four days and I was like, yo bro, I haven't spoken in four, like I haven't talked <laughs> in four days. Like what the hell does my voice even sound like? Like I, it was, it's weird, man. When you got no one around, that's solitary. Yeah. Let your fingers do the talking. But it was rejuvenating and it was it just it just gave me it just refueled me again like that alone time man i need it i needed it and i need it and that's just it's the best way it's the only way for me to get my my writing done and uh i got to give a shout out to my boy Jess the 100 mile man who wrote the book living with a seal and he's just been my boy 20 years so he just you know he's like whenever the house is empty go take it and he's got you know and i did and i do yeah Super compound. I? Yeah, and I, I mean, look, I'm thinking about how do I just move there? You know what <laughs> I mean? I'll, I'll just be a houseboy that writes, a writing houseboy. So, all right, so you were there and you were writing. Were you writing new things? Were you touching up old things? What would you have going on? So I don't know if, I'm sure I talked about it on one of the podcasts. You know, not everybody listens to every single podcast, but I got a movie. I have another movie called Sid. Sid is about uh, the garment district in the 1970s in New York City when the mafia, if there is one, ran the garment industry. And they ran, they, they owned the trucks and they owned the routes and they taxed everybody along the way. So it was kind of some gangster shit going on. And one of the guys that ran it, the main guy that ran it, uh, was named Sid Lieberman. His son found me through a mutual friend, hired me to write this movie about his father. And I did. And so I turned in the first draft of their movie probably a month and a half ago and got the notes back pretty shortly after that. And so my goal when I was at Jesse's place was to finish the second draft of Sid and to finish the second draft of uh, that Bolivian cartel movie that I'm doing. So I finished Sid. I sent it to him from Connecticut. And two days later, my boy just called me. He's like, you nailed it. 
Nice. You nailed it. <laughs> now, you know, look, there's going to still be rewrites to be done. I was just happy that people that are paying me are happy for what they're getting. Right. It's just it's just a job, and I just want to do a good job on the job. And it happens to be a personal thing because it's his, his dad. Yeah. So, you I know. Re- I remember the day that you met him. It was a, on a stand-up guy. We were in that freezing cold warehouse in Brooklyn, and he he came, you know, to lunch, and he was such a nice guy. You he know? brought his kid. Yeah, brought his kid. His kid's still in touch with Rappaport, I think. <laughs> yeah, just hanging out with him, <laughs> his kid, and Constantine at lunch, having Salisbury yeah, whatever. It's totally. Like, you know. High school hot lunch. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, it, it was, and you could just tell that he was uh, very impassioned to do something, and uh, and he did it. So yep. can you tell us a bit about the actual, you know, process of creating this type of story and what your influences are and such? Yes. And let me let me tell this while I'm getting the phone from my brother, because I think he might be out there. So you'll go check. But uh, let's see. You're going to hear you're going to hear my brother on the phone real quick. And this is going to be funny because he's visiting from Detroit. I just want to make sure he's all right and in the lobby. Let's see. We got two rings. We got three rings. Come on, Rob. Um, you know, Jordy, you you have Rob's number, don't you? I don't believe that I do, but I might. All right. All right. If you want to go out there, but uh, the process. So you're talking about the rewrite process? Well, you know the now. Pro- the just, get the notes getting. No, because. I don't believe that Sid has been discussed because there's the last time that you were discussing a project was the Bolivia project and the oh, Sid right. project. You know, I just want to I want to know, and I'm sure the viewers and the listeners would like to know, you know, what it's like to build something from scratch, what your influences were, and your, for the characters and for, you know, any films or books that you referenced. Yeah. Okay. So so writing for somebody's life story is super temperamental it's like you got to know what you can say what you can't say what I what I basically did was I got the gist of his story he told me his story he told me the story of his father and how his father ran the trucking industry for a certain crime syndicate and how they taxed everybody in the in the garment district and how you couldn't move a button or a zipper or a piece of material off of a, a truck or onto a truck without you know paying you got to pay the price but at the same time, the price was sort of worth it to these guys because clothing, like food, is needs to be on time. So if it's Christmas time, you better get your shit over there. If it's you know if it's summer sale, you got to get your shit over there. So it's a timing thing. So it wasn't like they were so gangster rough people. Not that you know they of course they got rough with you if you try to break the rules and if you didn't pay the piper. But it was really more of just sort of a strategic you know, money-making move. So if they taxed two cents on every button, zipper, and piece of material that was coming out of Manhattan, it became a billion-dollar industry. This is the guy who was the middleman who ran it. His son, like I said, brought me on to tell to tell his father's story. So I wanted to do two things. I wanted to tell the best movie, write the best piece I could, but at the same time, honor his dad and his family. So it was kind of like, you know, it was like temperamental for a while because I said, you know, from everything you've told me, I may have to, you know, and if you're giving me creative license, I'm going to punch up these characters like for real. And, you know, if you're, you know, 
if you're not digging what you're feeling with your mom or you're not digging what you're feeling with your brother, you know, if you're not if you're not digging it, you got to let me know. You got to let me know early, you know, so I don't go down the line, uh, you know, too far and have to pull back because you're offended at the way I painted your mom in the movie. So bottom line was he gave me the whole story. He gave me everything he felt. And I told the story best I could. And that was the first draft of the story. And then I sent it to them and they came back with a, a good amount of notes, nothing crazy, but just sort of like, you know, take kind of pull back on my mom a little bit because she's alive and I don't want to be any kind of disrespectful. And, you know, my brother's character, let's kind of shave him down a little bit and pump my character up. And we, his buddy, the guy that hired me, his friend is the pre, one of the heads of Sony. So he read it. And he's basically the one that called me with the notes. And so I did the notes pass and I sent it. That's what I was doing in Connecticut. I did all, I, I basically just put like, I put like a word document on the left side and I go down every single point. I apply it to the script on the right side. I hit every single point. And when I'm done, I spell check that shit. I reread it. Boom. I sent it to you and I sent it to them and they called me and he's so funny cause he still thinks he's, you know, he's kind of got like that gangster swagger. He made me, I basically, I signed my contract with him at Rayo's, which is like a famous uh, Italian house. Right. It was like him and like someone from like the Gambino trucking company and me and a pen. I didn't even read it, but uh, I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) You signed. The money got in the bank. So, you know, you're, you're right. I did get the script and I did read it and I enjoyed it. Um, Something that was different about this script than some some of your other works actually all of your other works is uh this one is heavily voiceover driven yeah what's that like because you know there's this divide in the film community it's like some people are like never use voiceover some people are like always use voiceover i you know, actually kind of lend towards, I, I enjoy voiceover just because I enjoy, you know, the Billy Wilder and the Alfred Hitchcocks, and they use those tools all the time, you know, but it's a very heavy uh, voiceover script just because it's got that, like, good fellas vibe. Casino. Casino, yeah. I mean, my whole thought process on that is, and I've taken all the screenwriting classes you could take, I've read all the books, and they all say the same shit, don't use voiceover unless it's absolutely necessary, and tell us what we're not seeing, not what we're seeing, and the bottom line is, if it works, I love it. When it works great, Forrest Gump, fucking I love it. Right. You know, Casino, I loved it. Goodfellas, I loved it. So, I was like, fuck it, this is his story about his father, I'm gonna use a voiceover, and because... Everything he was telling me, it felt like it was sort of like Casino set in the Garment District. And the Garment shit was so specific and intricate and like, you know, the way that they did it, the way, you know, you taxed a sewing shop, the way that you taxed a a Garment showroom guy, or the way that fucking Halston and all top designers were getting taxed, it it was real intricate. So you couldn't just like, it's hard to show without explaining it. So I wanted to give that opening of like just how casino was like the money's made here. These guys are, you know, skimming here. The who really runs this place? These guys here. That was similar to garment to the garment district back then. So you would see, you know, Macy's men's store and all these highfalutin people and socialites and, you know, Donna Karen and Nicole Miller and Roy Halston and 
uh, and Ralph Lauren, and you know, you all you see is the glimmer and the glitz of the shit. Well, what was really going on was there was six fucking dudes that could beat your ass that were sitting in a back room deciding where the clothes went, how much it was going to cost, where they're going to tax, what trucks they were going to use, and they made sure shit went from A to B, and that's the, that's what nobody knew about that. And right. Obviously, I had to do a bunch of research, and I found out that like one, and the irony of the whole thing is that they were they ran women's dresses, so the gangsters they were running women's dresses. So that I thought was beautiful irony, you know. It wasn't like they were running sportswear, or fucking selling axes. They ran fucking women's dresses. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that really struck me from the story that you crafted. Based on a true story, it's you know there's there are films that are you know based on true events, and then there's films that are based on a true story. True events is a little bit exaggerated. This is a true story, right? Yes. Yeah. You're going on facts for the most part, and it was it was unique to kind kind of see a film a story that has characters of people who are still alive. I mean, not to give anything away, but, yeah. you know, seeing some recognizable names, names and, you know, places that, you know, oh, that I know about in the current day and you get to see them as kind of that flashback. I personally always enjoy films like that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm excited to see where, uh, where it ends up and I'm yeah. sure that, uh, that the listeners will be too. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I did. It's funny because I got the phone call about the name changes. So I wrote the script and then I got the call and he said, uh, do me a favor. You got to take out this guy's name, this guy's name, and this guy lived four. He lives four blocks away from me. You know what I mean? He's like, you know, you got to take Gotti's name out of there, and blah blah blah. And you know, out, out of respect and just you know, basic overall fear, <laughs> I'm good. I took the, I take the names out. Right. But it's not. It's all public knowledge. It's like you could Google it, and it comes up. The Gambino, you know, that Thomas Gambino, who was running the garment district, you know, he was doing beautiful great things raising money for charities building a wing of a hospital but he was involved in some other things that they had to come at him for and he was you know garment industry was a huge thing for them so and ironically he didn't he never did any time for the for his part of the garment district but he paid a huge fine and uh to put a button on this part of the podcast no pun no pun intended uh while you were in new york did you end up walking through the garment district and kind of like oh yeah seeing what's going because i i walked through it actually the day that i read the script so it was kind of like you know putting myself back into that time period yeah so when we started when i started the process he took me on a steve lieberman took me on a walk through the garment district and he's like here's where my dad and thomas used to have breakfast every morning at the andrews coffee shop that's where the feds bugged the place that coffee shop right across from madison square garden he walked me down the hallway he goes here's the back of the trucking place come on with me i'm going to show you around he takes me upstairs whose office do i go into old school carlo gambino i'm in his office you know, and he's, you know, since passed, obviously, but it looks like it's 1975 in there. Old wood desk, pictures of the family. He walked me all through there. He showed me where the meetings took place, took me downstairs, showed me where all the trucks would park. You know what I mean? Before And where all, you know, where, where the garments would, you know, get loaded onto the trucks and how they ran the streets, basically. Like, you couldn't park your car 
You couldn't just go park at the garment district. Right. They literally owned the block. So the only trucks or cars coming in were theirs. And so, yeah, he walked me through the garment district, showed me everything. It was super cool. And you got to feel that. You got to feel that before you go write something. Like, I had to feel that, you know. And I talked to his sister, and she gave me some great stories. And her character came through strong in the movie, you know, because I wanted to, like, tell the story of a man who did what he had to do for his family, you know, but also what effect it has on your family when that is your job. You know what I mean? When these are the type of people that you're around and this is your day to day, how does it affect your kids? Some kids become lawyers and doctors and some kids rebel and become wild and, you know, go, go against, you know, the grain and, and, this particular family had three kids that all that did all that. One kid, you know, successful businessman. One kid had some issues, and daughter got married and has a beautiful life because she was the princess of the family. So, I wanted to tell that, honor the family, tell a great story, and I had to do it in a non-linear way because the shit spanned so many years that I had to keep going back and forth, which was like a bit challenging for me. But I still think I, I pulled it off. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a really unique uh, career path for you that you've been on because you've got like you know you talk talked about earlier in the show talked about like the stand up brain versus the movie brain, but let's you know break that down even further where it's like in like the movie television world you're like half comedian especially in like the romantic or like you know the dark comedy or you know the r-rated comedy and then the other half is like historian you've got you know uh sid you're talking about bolivia which you've touched on you've touched on detroit and you know you went to detroit too right oh yeah you know while you were back and which is a great segue because yeah in walks mr detroit mr detroit who, who you know needs no introduction especially because other uh Listeners have heard Robert I, Young I, in. I literally got a call this morning from a girl who just a random girl who was like, "I just listened to the podcast with you and your brother, and it's so touching." <laughs> but, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, my brother Rob is here right now. What up, Rob? He just flew in from Detroit, landed one hour ago. Yeah. How you feeling? I feel pretty good. You all right? Good. Yeah, it's a few hours later on my head, but. You tired? Uh, no, I feel all right. You know, I acclimate right away when I get out here with you. So. Yeah, CBS sent the uh, private jet to pick up Rob. Yeah, yeah, they send private jets for guests now. Yeah. It's, we are blowing up huge. It's going yo, great. Yo, my brother comes to L.A. and has a better time than I do. <laughs> he knows everybody. He gets treated like a king. It's uh, it's I good to you have out. you here, bro. It's, good to... Oh, it's great to be here. I literally just walked in. What up? Big yeah, brother? it's my little brother. And, <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, little brother. Yeah, I mean, big brother. Whatever. Yeah. You know. So you know, <laughs> for those of you that know. Yeah. So you know, as me, single Mike, I meet a lot of girls, and I tell them, you know, most girls think that I'm fucking like 32 years old. That's just what I look like, and I'm not. All right, I'm not. But Clean my brother, when my brother comes to town, I have to tell him how old he is, <laughs> and which girl he has to know how old I am with. You know what I mean? Like, you meet so-and-so, Rob, you're 38. I texted him today. 
you're 38 with so and so, and you're 41 and older with the other girl. If we run into her, so, so are these girls old enough that I have to? I mean, you sent me a, you sent me a message today. I mean, the, do they even do they listen to the podcast? Do you doesn't matter. Do you promote the podcast to them? Because you know they don't even know I do the a age podcast. Is one thing, but now I got to think about the year I was born and do I keep the same <laughs> month and yeah. Do I even? I, I like I, you know I bring business cards because I you know I'm a business guy. People will say, oh, I want to keep in touch. So naturally, I would give them a business. Now I've got a I got a you know 86 the business cards, <laughs> 86 basic. I, I could basically just be like a relative and not even. Yeah, you can be who, your yeah, brother. Yeah. I mean, it would be I even might, easier. I, I might not even introduce you. you right, just, because, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're going to want to ask about the kids. I mean, there's a whole thing that goes on here. I mean, Rob brings up a good point, though. I mean, the, the podcast audience is growing. And, uh, you know, I know that people have been coming up to you on the road saying that they've enjoyed the podcast. I've been getting it more and more lately. Hopefully, Rob, it's trickled to you as well. So, you know, let's not worry about that. Let's hope that, you know, if if the girls of your life are listening that they're enjoying and yeah, by they the learn way, a thing or two. By the way, girls, I am every age I say I am. <laughs> I just am. If I'm this living is exist- in the room, I'm 48. This if is I'm- existential. You know what I mean? Like, I am what I am. But, uh, yeah, my brother just got in town. Um, I, I did have a great, I had a chance in between my New York state. Rob, move your, don't breathe so heavy on the mic. You're, you're, you're like a bull. <laughs> Breathe to the side. I gotta teach my brother. It's our whole life is like this. I gotta I gotta show him how to breathe, uh, talk, walk. Um, I'm laugh away. But I had a chance to go to Detroit, which was and I only had two days to go, which was weird, but uh it turned out to be a great trip. And this kind of leads into another thing that I'm doing. I think I told you about this museum. Well you, <laughs> like, you told me, but you gotta tell everybody else if you want to. Or you can keep it vague. I'll keep it vague, but in the, in, in the vaguest sense, you know, you, you know, you guys know that I wrote the Detroit drama piece, and you know, off that we got Eminem attached to executive produce, and off of that, next week I'm going to meet with Antoine Fuqua. I mean, I could just say it. That's his people call me. They love the world, and I'm gonna go meet him. And uh, and off of that, somebody in Detroit called me and was like. Hey, man, will you come in and meet with this guy? There's like this big money dude in Detroit who wants to do an underworld gangster museum. Nothing I've ever thought of in my life. I I never even thought about it. But what I did think was Detroit has a rich history of of organized crime and unorganized crime. (laughs) Spanning from the 20s and 30s with the Purple Gang all the way to modern day. Um, so I just said, yeah, I'll go and I'll meet and we'll talk it out. And it turns out the dude was a great dude. Like he's one of these like wacky carnival esque guys who's been in like 20 different businesses and he's made millions of dollars selling vitamins and like bobbleheads. And he's like a, a trinket type guy, you know, and he's really like out there and his son's a comedian and his son opened for me at Mark Ridley's years ago, which I didn't know till I met the guy. Oh, wow. So long story short, we talk for two hours, and by the end of it, I'm like, dude, I'm in. So if you want to hire me, I'm going to look at this like it's a movie script, and I'm just going to write the story of what is in every room of your museum. So that's where we left it, and I gave him the, I basically sent him a contract, whatever, a couple days ago, and his assistant called and said they want to do it, so we'll talk to him and see what happens. But the only, yeah, I don't do construction, I don't do, I don't buy houses. The only thing I can do is write him the best experience for people to go into their thing. You know what I mean? So I'm going to write everything that you read, everything that's going to be on the video monitor, 
every character that's going to be in the room, you know, all that. I'm just going to write the experience, and I looked at it as if it was a, a feature film, but shorter. You yeah. know what I mean? You'll be go. the voice of the museum. There you go. Exactly. So we'll see what happens. But that was just like a fun 48 hours, and it was, you know, I was bummed because I didn't even see you. I didn't even see you on that trip. No, nope, we just talked every day. Yeah. My brother's, my brother's been working his ass off, rebuilding, literally rebuilding the city of Detroit. Like, literally, my brother's, you know, he's he's part of a new company, the Blue Team, Restoration, and BBMK, and all, is that all, is that the, how yeah, many let's names be, are there? Well, let's be clear, we're not, I'm not, um, I'm not building the new stuff down there. What I'm no, doing no, no. is I'm taking the existing stuff. And making it strong. And making it stronger. So and it lives so that for another get it back years. to a point A where they can build off of that. And we're starting, you know, and you got to have a strong foundation to build off of, and that's what we're doing. So we're going back into, you know, Detroit, and we've been doing it for the last, you know, half a decade, and we we've been doing it with Dan Gilbert for those of you that Quicken Loans giant, and uh, we've been doing it with with his organization, and in the grassroots of it all, we're basically cleaning up the city from the inside out, right? And we're there for all emergencies, twenty four seven. Um, not just in the city, obviously we're a national company, but, um, you know, it's a big, big opportunity for us and we're really proud to have it and to be doing it in our hometown is just, you know, incredible. Yeah. My brother, yeah, my brother is busy, busy. and he, I'm just glad you got out here cause I know you come here and it is chill central. He called me yesterday. He's like, don't worry about me. I'm just going to go hiking. I'm just going to drop my <laughs> shit off at your place. I'm going to walk into the mountains and sweat. Don't worry. You know, like you don't care about me here. He's got more friends here than I do. Rob comes here. The last time Rob, my brother came here, Russell Peters, who I, I've mentioned many times, I was, you know, it's a friend of mine for 12, 11 years, probably out here, one of the greatest dudes ever, not to mention the biggest comic on the planet. I do a show with him in Windsor. My brother comes to Windsor. He meets Russell backstage. My brother is the type of dude who just gets along with everyone. And I'm talking about, like, I don't give a fuck if you just saved a life or you're about to be Charles Manson. You're going to get along with my brother, and it's just the way it is. He just flows like water with that shit. So him and Russell hit it off. They took, both love boxing. They talk boxing. Next thing I know, Russell's like, yo, uh, Bobby. He calls him Bobby. The only other person that calls him Bobby is my Aunt Barbara. <laughs> so now Russell is like our third brother. And Russell's like, Bobby, when you come to L.A., you stay with me. I'm like... I've never even been at your house. <laughs> like you got a mansion in Malibu, you really never really asked me to come over. Like, can you like, you do things? And he's like, Bobby, you stay with me. So next thing I know, my brother comes to L.A., goes right to Malibu. He is staying at Russell Peters' house, and here comes my brother pulling up in my garage with, in an uh, in a hundred thousand dollar Audi that he can't admit that he's scared to drive because he's not a great driver. <laughs> but Russell Russell gave him the car, and he's just herky jerking it into my parking spot. And there's my brother getting out of a hundred thousand dollar car that Russell just gave him for four days. Welcome to L.A. Welcome to L.A. <laughs> yeah, and I got to see that because uh, the last time you were in town, remember we went late night to uh, what's that spot, Bossa Nova. And yeah, he, and we get there, and it's just you and your wife and Russell and his, and his wife and all you know yeah. types of people that are just there. Yeah. And you guys are yucking it up. We don't even think they even saved chairs for us. There were no chairs for us. <laughs> That's right. There were no chairs actually. 
Yeah, Sorry. no, my brother, Rob, Rob, you you, know, you got it good when you come to L.A. And you've been coming to L.A. for 20 years. I mean, you've been coming yeah, here least. to visit me for at least 15 years. You know, he's done everything I've done. He comes, you know, what I mean, he comes out here, he goes to the set of Entourage, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, "Your brother's cooler than you," you know. And he's now he's text Kevin Connolly. Hey, when are you coming to Detroit? You want to open a sports bar? I got you. You know, my brother calls me. He's like, "Yo, I talked to the guys at Goal. We're opening something." No, 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 not without me. You're not. Not without me. No, but we're going to be doing that pitch this week with those guys. I got the whole thing. Do you have the I renderings? The, I got the renderings. I got a whole, and I've got a PowerPoint that goes along with it. I have a really professional thing that they put together for me. To, so this is, yo. So this is this is something we're because we're just riffing, right, Jody? We're we're we're, we're just keeping it flowing. This is this is what it is. This is episode one of volume three. This is the introduction to the entire volume. This for is real. whatever we want it to be. So. Uh, so Goal Sports Cafe is our cheers. It is just my boys own it. It's right down the street from me. It's a high-end sports bar. It's where I go four nights a week. It's the only place we have fun and we're comfortable, and it's home. So when Rob comes in, he goes with me, and he's, it's home to him too. And my boys, Johnny and Chuck and Kevin, everyone's got a piece of Goal. And, you know, it's just it's just the best place. Well, Goal... Is the, it's the type of place that actually should be franchised. It just makes sense on every level. It's got celebrity you know, behind it, but it also has its own character. It's got its own character, which is a, a small, intimate, high-end sports bar. Perfect televisions everywhere, and just great seating, comfortable booths, great food. Very simple. So they talked to me about, you know, young, we hear Detroit's blowing up. And, of course, like three years ago they said this to me, and I was like, yo... Dan's got a guy, literally Bruce Schwartz in Detroit, who can like walk you around the city physically, show you every great property for you that's potentially could be a spot for goal. And we talked about it back and forth. We never, we really haven't gotten anybody from from here to go take the true visit. But now, you know, I talked to my boys like a week ago, and they're like, "Young, we're ready to go." Da da da. You know, our boy's gonna finance it. Let's let's find the place. So. I called Rob, and Rob hit the main dude up, who's the main real estate guy at Bedrock, and the guy apparently made a rendering for the space and to see what it looks like, and in a perfect world, and look, for us, it would just be a fun, maybe we'd have a piece of it, we'd own a piece of it, and it would just be a fun place that would be constantly packed, and people can have a, you know, there is no great sports bar right now in Detroit like that. Well, I mean... Not that, not that, not with that personality. It just makes sense. Detroit's hockey town. The name of the bar is Goal. Yes. The locations that we have are right downtown, right near the new arena that are going to be opening up. There's two spots that are just prime, and to jump on them right now would be the thing to do. If you don't, it would be you're just not the wrong thing. If you don't you do it, you're just not a good. It. You're not a smart businessman if you're looking to truly expand your business. Like if, if you're you going an, right, if you have an opportunity for what they have, for what that the theme is and what the vibe is and the energy is and what people go there for. Uh, It's just the greatest opportunity in in Detroit right now. Detroit is expanding leaps and bounds in the retail market and the hospitality market, the housing market, the uh, multifamily market, the apartments, businesses, anything you can think of that, that lends itself to the personality of a city Detroit is growing leaps and bounds ex- yeah. ex- exponentially. Daily, you can see it. Right. Um, people that, you know, we're, we're put, the M1 rail is, is going in downtown, so it would basically be a monorail 
three miles right through the heart of the city. It's going to have drop-offs. We're building a new Joe Louis Arena. It's going to be called Little Caesars Arena. But they're building a new arena there. So you're going to have football. You're going to have baseball. You're going to have hockey. Eventually, there'll be basketball. They're talking about bringing a, a major league soccer, international soccer team to Detroit. Right. I heard Dan's talking with Al Gores, or, uh, uh, or uh, the, the owner of the Gores, Pistons. Yeah, yeah, from the Pistons. Uh, Who yeah. owns the Pistons? Alec Gores or what's the Gores name? I, I, think, I think it's it, Alec. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah Alec Gores. It. Dan and Gores. Yeah, but okay. anyway, there's uh, just a plethora of things that are happening down there that if you have the opportunity, you have the ways and the means to do it, Detroit's a place to be. Above and beyond any other city in the country right now, and maybe even the world. The craziest People, shit is, every time I go home, I go look for houses. I could afford a Detroit house. I can't afford a L.A. house. You might not be able to afford a Detroit house soon. It's you might be able to buy our old house in Southfield off of Red Leaf Lane. That's 750-footer. <laughs> Ranch, no basement. <laughs> you might be able to get that one, flood the backyard in the winter, make a hockey rink with the grass coming through. But there's a lot of great things happening right now. And, and Jordan, you, you, you said something earlier, the, the podcast, and just coming from, you know, just flying in from Detroit and telling people about Mike's podcast and people calling me about Mike's podcast – a friend of mine in Baltimore, Joel Wax, was telling me that one of his partners in his business is the lacrosse coach for the Israeli national or international lacrosse team. Right. The Israeli national lacrosse team. And he listens to the podcast now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's going beyond, you know, the borders, uh, you know, so to speak. And, and I'm hearing about it from people that are saying, hey, did you hear Mike's uh, – you know, podcast. I think it, it's great. I it's, think you guys are doing a wonderful job. Thank you. It's a worldwide thing. I mean, honestly, it it, it transcends, and it's you know the best part about podcasting is it it goes hand in hand with the on demand world that we're living in because everyone's so busy, everyone's traveling, and you know it's not the type of world anymore where you have to be at your television set or at your radio at 8 p.m. on a Thursday for prime time. Prime time is whenever you want it to be. So, you know, obviously, you know, the first part of this episode was Mike rehashing where he's been because he's been everywhere over the course of the last six, eight weeks. So, you know, we're going to start going, you know, deeper into what has been going on and what has been going on. So I'm happy to hear that. I mean, it's... Yeah. I'm happy to hear it too. I was shocked because I'm like out of touch with what's what people listen to because I don't listen to that many podcasts because I don't have time to listen to a bunch of stuff or watch a bunch of stuff. So when I was in New York and some dude just rolled up on me in the lobby and was like, dude, I love the podcast. I was like, what? You do? <laughs> like, where, I'm like, where'd you hear it? You know what I mean? And you don't remember that like CBS is a very big company. Yeah, that, I've heard of them. You, you, they're kind of big and you forget that like, there we are on CBS Radio. You can go find the podcast and iTunes, in iTunes right. everywhere. Play.it slash Mike Young. Yeah, it's just so I forgot. So then I'm in New York and some dude comes up and I couldn't have felt better. And then yeah, uh, Saturday night I'm in Irvine and a dude that works for TBS Network rolls up and he's like, yo, bro, I love your podcast. I love what you do. And I'm like... Part of me still so insecure that I'm like, maybe he thinks I'm somebody else. Like, <laughs> like maybe he thinks I'm like, I don't know who he thinks I am. Yeah, you just got a meeting at TBS based on this podcast. I literally have a meeting at TBS based on the podcast, and then we sent him single mic sizzle reel, and now it's a real meeting with yeah. the vice president over at TBS. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Jordan's the best. 
Jordan is the best. But Jordan left me. You know, I told Jordan, I can't do the podcast alone, man. I can't. You think I'm a great monologuist, but I'm I'm only good for four minutes. I can't talk by myself about a story. My brain doesn't work like that. First, so I told him I need sidekick. And people, yeah. have, everyone who's come up to me about the podcast, they love Jordan on the podcast. My boy at goal last night is like, I got to meet Jordan. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. bro. He's over here eating free chicken tenders every Thursday if you want to see him. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. He hasn't paid for a drink at Goal ever, and maybe he never will. I hope not. Never should. I love Goal. Shout out to Goal. Yeah, Shout we love out. Goal. But I'm saying it's it's a it's a cool thing, and I, it's it's on me to stay consistent, but it's also on you, to st- you know, for me Look, to stay we're, consistent. We're back. We're back and better than ever. Um, I love know. that we can just roll around with equipment and just do it wherever. You know, this, this is beautiful and dope and the best sound of all time, but. That stuff they gave me is pretty dope, too. There will be, I'm sure, special circumstances where you just have to get a story out. And it'll be solo dolo, just rocking. But, you you know, as long as we're at the same place at the same time, and we could also do call-in episodes. It's not, you know, not to say that we shouldn't, but there is nothing quite like that face-to-face interaction. And, look, the thing about it, it's like I had said earlier, this is on-demand audio. There is no time limit. Yes, there should be consistently consistency. I think that minimum once a week, but sometimes there'll be more, sometimes there'll be less. But Rob, I have a question for you. Coming from, you know, the fact that you're in Detroit and you're hearing people talk about the podcast, but also you're hearing the podcast because for us we're a little bit jaded. We're here in Los Angeles, we're talking about the entertainment industry. Do we paint a a good picture of Los Angeles, the entertainment industry, like, are there things that we, that you enjoy that we do? Are there things that you wish we did a little bit more of? Because, you know, sometimes we forget that we're, because we're kind of in, you know, the saying when you're too deep into the forest, you don't Can't see the trees. Yeah. Right. So what do you think? You almost said that saying, you almost got it. You're on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there are certain things that the feedback that I get is they love hearing Mike's stories uh, about what he's going through, about working on a, uh, on the movies or working on a show, working on a script, and what it's like to be in the trenches of all that. So that is what they like. That's what they like. They like hearing that. As far as you know, L.A. and parties and, and, and having access to those things, you guys touch on it, but you don't get into, I mean, obviously, you need to protect some names, obviously, when you're doing that stuff, but the the bulk of what I hear and the feedback that I get, which I agree with uh, wholeheartedly, is hearing the process, hearing about that process. What you going back to New York with the guy that wants you to write a script and you want to walk the walk that his dad and his uncles and his family and the guys in the in the industry walked, you know, and that's one thing that that you and Jordan do very well together is you guys don't just take it as a topical opportunity. You guys actually dig deep into those stories and you guys get into it and that that's the feedback that i get is that people love hearing the process what it's like you know you you know you go into your cave you talk about your cave you know you go right in your cave you know the one thing that cracks me up about you mike is that the reason i the the reason i love coming out here and and knowing this place so well is that i literally get out and do the things that i would think that you have already done 20 times already i don't do anything i'm like hey i just hiked runyon canyon canyon and saw you know, red tail hawk. You're like, he's like, what's a red tail hawk? What do you mean? 
<laughs> hiked Runyon Canyon. You know, I said, why aren't you at the beach writing? Well, who's going to go to the beach? I don't know. It's like four miles from your place. Like, I, why wouldn't you go to the beach and write on a rock or, or sit there and take a long walk or go into you know, someone's backyard and do all these different things? It's, it's just unique the way your process is. You almost... I could be anywhere. You could be anywhere, but you're so blue collar. We were the way we were raised was so, you know, hard nosed and and tough and you know a little callous, you know, in certain ways. A lot of love, but you know, real tough. I think for what we had, and I think that you put it upon yourself to put yourself, you know, to make it tough on yourself sometimes. Totally. And you don't put yourself out there enough as much as you you have such a process and you you live a certain way because you're a voracious reader you're an incredible writer and you put your you're like um you you, i mean you're like you know walt whitman stephen king um you know all these different great i appreciate that but let's take it back and not stephen king sold seven billion but they all have their processes everyone's got a process everyone has a process everybody has their you know go to walden woods whatever it was for hemingway whoever all those great people out there that you've admired over the years that were writers, directors, filmmakers, or novelists, you have your own unique process, too. But what's funny is it's in the modern world. I think a lot of these guys that you emulate or you, you, you take a little piece of all of them, these are guys like, that were, you know, are just you know, known as legends. But you're like living in this world where you have access to everything, whether it's a boat, a private plane, you know, a party, a club, whatever. But you live such, you keep it so simple in your own way. I, I and say, you're so true to that that it's it's honorable. It really is. It's 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 yeah. beyond honorable. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, thanks. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play it. Take me back when I was a kid. Never had to worry about what I. It's honorable, but yes, I make it harder on myself than I need to. I could definitely get out to the water and enjoy and breathe and take longer walks. Absolutely. I have in my DNA a blue-collar gene that says to me in my brain, if you're not working, if you're not working at the table, you ain't doing shit. Like, if you're not... But that's... that's, It's not even like I... I wish I didn't have that kind of because... You don't. You have it. You work your ass off, but you, like you also have been able to like go off and travel the world. You've been to Italy, France, Israel. You travel. You get out there. I don't know, man. I, I feel like I don't have like a pull, like a desire. I, my desire is like write the dopest shit, and it could be in any room, anywhere. It's like yeah, I've gone to the coffee shop. I've, I've written at the beach. The true fucking thing is. Wherever your ass is sitting, that's where the shit goes down. So I do need to like treat myself a little better. I I, I agree, I do, cause you know I, I don't know, man. It's just my thing. I sit in a cave and I fucking feel like that's when I'm in a movie. I'm in the movie. There I am. I'm in Bolivia right now. Look, so you know, I'm sure. I need a vacation. <laughs> I'm sure. But do I? You live in Beverly Hills. Just walk outside once in a while. <laughs> I'm sure that the last, you know. Two and a half, three, three and a half years have been a bit of a blur, right, for you? It's been movie, TV show, pitches, comedy, you know. So now that we're sitting here in the middle of 2016, right? Yep. 
let's take a step back for a second. And since, you know, what we're doing right now, th- basically stories that need to be told is the chronicles of Mike Young. And sometimes these chronicles, we pepper people. We come out with one a week, two a week, three a week, you know, multiple a month. You know, sometimes there's great stories to be told. Sometimes there's not. But now that we sit here, we're at the midway point of 2016. Where do you see the next six months of this year going? In the perfect world, like in my brain, I see, I see in the next six months, I see the feature film Sid getting fully financed, casted, and up and running. I see before that, I see that happening in like eight, nine months because I just think that's the time on that. I think that Boarding House, which I talked about you know, on the podcast before, which has been through many machinations, but I also did a rewrite on that and the producer feels like it's ready to go. I feel like that, I feel like I'll have, in the next six months, I will start a new independent film and I also feel like I will either shoot my own comedy special or I'll get a comedy special somehow. Or if I don't self-finance it, it's just time for me to put a gang of material on that nobody has seen before and be done with it and continue on with my stand-up because I just love it so much. So in the next six months, I see another indie film getting done. I mean, if I, I could say a few other things. Like, I look, like if Antoine Fuqua decides he wants to shoot the pilot of the Detroit Underworld TV show, we are going to have a Detroit TV show, one-hour drama, executive produced by Marshall Mathers, you know what I mean, created by myself. Rappaport will be a producer on it, and that will be going as well. So I see myself just being a busy motherfucker that still has dandruff on his eyebrows (laughs) and still is not getting out of the house enough, but is just being single Mike, you know what I mean, doing what I do, sipping tequila, Getting yep. laid when I want, and unless I fall in love, you Bro, know. you just put it out there to the world. Yeah, you just got to kind of visualize it. I mean, something that I uh, admire, encourage, and I'm always fascinated by is that the projects that you create, not only are there a multitude of them, but they are located in multiple destinations. Yeah. Los Angeles, Detroit, New York. Yeah. I mean, so... Visually, what you're talking about, I mean, I'm the morally safer of right, morally safer. God rest his soul. He's they said as a journalist, he would pick stories in places he wanted to go. He's like, What the hell is going on in Hawaii this week? <laughs> so, Detroit obviously is my heart and soul, and it's like I, I just something keeps pulling me back, pulling me back, and I am gonna go buy something there because it's just where I like to be. I like to be around your kids, I like to be around the family. I'll come back to L.A. as often as I want, probably for months at a time and still have an apartment. But, like, I just, that's where I'm most comfortable, and that's, like, the stories, that that's the shit. Like, I, I've been told by too many people that we have to tell the story of the underworld Detroit 1970s because my dad was there. He was in it. And I just, there's... When, when people at the level of Anthony Zyker from CSI and Antoine Fuqua and Rappaport and Eminem, when those high-level artistic people are telling you that you got something dope, it's not a fuck. I don't have to go ask anybody else. I know it's dope. Everyone that's read it is like, this is the shit. It's just a matter of where is it going to live, and do I? And if everyone, if every network says no, well, do I just go write another 30 pages? I'll go get a fucking $2 million and go make it a movie. 
Right. It has to be told. That's a story that has to be told. Or you know what I mean? We do a table read on the podcast. Boom. Jordy Jordy said that half before you got here. And by the way, Jordy, that script is done. And I'll fucking bring Rappaport in here and we'll put a cast together and we'll do that table read. Old school. Let me tell you something. You'll probably get a we'll get a we'll get two million in crowdfunding that we didn't even ask for. That's how gangster that fucking script is. That's shit nobody knows about. I just think that uh, it's becoming more and more evident that power to the people, power to the the on-demand nature of things. So, you know, whether it's Detroit or any other projects that uh, that you want to share and you're sharing it verbally now and, you know, if you want to do it over the scripts, I mean, we've got multiple microphones totally. in the studio. Yo, you know what's so funny? You, you know, Detroit, there's so Detroit. yo, so many of these projects have been and you've watched every one of them from incubation to paper, to deal, to no deal, to death, to alive again. Like, it's all... But in the perfect fucking beautiful world, Red Leaf Entertainment, you know what I mean? It just because We just have all these projects, and they're all just flowing forward. It's like... And no disrespect to Kanye, but like... Like, you know, I, I wrote the Kanye thing. You know, we're going into Netflix to pitch it. I've told the people on this show about, you know, me working. I'm sharing a bill. It's created by Mike Young and Kanye West. I never met Kanye West. I've literally never met Kanye. I'm not dogging him. I'm not dogging him. Don't You've make, said don't it make before. that face. I'm not dogging Kanye West. You're looking at me like I'm dogging Kanye West. I got no beef with Kanye West. I'm just saying, yo, Give me a call, bro. You know what I mean? I just wrote a TV show for you. I know I'm lucky to be in business with you. You are an international monstrous superstar of the highest level of musical talent. I'm just saying that show, in my opinion, is a hit. It's already written. Where are we at? Like, let's let's like let's get that. Call Warner Brothers. Say, let's go do it at Title. You got? Don't you own Title? Let's let's do it. Mike, has Kanye read it? Yeah, his cousin told me last week. He read it. He loves it. We're just waiting to get the meeting set up with with Netflix. We are going into Netflix with Kanye because Netflix is different than all other networks. You go in there with ten episodes laid out, not written fully, but laid out. So we had to lay out a full season for them, and which I've done. And everybody's happy, and it's a dope package. I'm just saying, for me as a writer, it's a little, it's just frustrating. It's just frustrating because I put my fucking heart and soul into this thing, and I haven't been paid a dime. Our, our deal is Warner Brothers, that's the studio. So, what that means is they come in, they pay for it, so we don't get paid until we set up a, at a network. You know what I mean? So, here I am on the if come. And I'm just like, to me, I'm like, yo, just be a man, bro. Let's, we're just, we're two men in the world. Like, we ain't gonna mean shit in a hundred yeah. years. Let's go grab a coffee. Have him, tell him to meet you up at I mean? Gold tonight. Tell him to just turn. His on. cousin goes to Gold. His whole crew goes to Gold. Yeah. Tell him to come on up, man. Yeah, they all come to Gold. He goal. should. He should come on out, and then he should go home, turn on Netflix, watch a stand-up guy. Yeah. If you want to, yo, you guys could tweet at Kanye. Right. Tweet at Kanye and go, yo, Kanye, what's up with your Mike Young project? And he's gonna tweet back and go, who the fuck's Mike Young? And he's gonna have to call his cousin. <laughs> but I think, and go, That's who but it is. I think once he meets you, I think you're right. I think there is. Something I hear to be he's said a about, great dude, by the way. When you meet him and kick it with him, I heard he's cool. But as when hell. you go into business, and I'm in that world where. You know, you, we do a lot of business with a lot of different people, a lot of different walks of life. The first thing that you need to do business and know that things are going to be going well is to meet the people and know that you can trust them, know that you'll, you'll get along with them. And 
you don't you know all I know is what I see on TV and all you know is what you see on TV and what you hear from his cousin it would be nice and kind of a menchy thing to do yo Con- Kanye come on down yeah by Just the way <laughs> not to and not drinks to, are on us man not, or right. food or chicken fingers whatever yeah. you want man and Just by the way down. Kanye for what it's worth you wouldn't be my most famous friend Let's just say that. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's just say that. You know, you're you're the man, but you ain't my most famous friend. My my friends, you, you've talked to my friends, buddy. You, right. you you've talked their ear off for an hour. You've performed at their birthday parties without knowing it. Yeah, I so think it's a good let's idea. Let's just be men. Come find me, bro. I'm so ki- I'll kick it with you. By the way, your wife, I we we shot a short film together, me and Connolly. I wrote it, he directed it. We Kim Kardashian was in our little short for American Eagle years ago. Uh-huh. She's sweet as can be. She's cool. You know. She was in Sardudes? Not Sardudes. She was in the other one, the uh Ghost of of like uh of like p- late night parting past or something. <laughs> she played a ghost of like what not to do in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, she was funny, man. She's cool. But... Yo, in this day and age, everybody's local. So even if it's just picking up a phone and saying, hey, man, I'd love to meet you. Just tell me what's up, where you're from, and get to know somebody that you're going to be potentially in business with is the thing to do. And it sounds like his, his cousin's a real good guy, and you guys have been getting along great. But if Kanye's going to put his name on this as a creator... His, I mean, he, he's already signed. The con- he's like, signed he's as signed. a creator, but, I mean, he, you know... Come on, man. That's what I said. <laughs> Come on down. We'll uh, hang that's, out. Yeah. So Meet it, the whole family. I'll bring uh, the kids down. Bring your kids down. Dinner on me if yeah. times are hard. Absolutely. Well, I got babysitters. My kids are old enough to babysit his kids. So, so we'll what you're saying is a stand-up guy on Netflix, and then it's going to be your comedy special on Netflix, and then it's going to be uh, the Kanye show on Netflix. Okay, cool. Six man, months. Man, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of business with Netflix that I never met before. Yeah, it's going to be great. Right. Well, you're already on Netflix. You got yeah. one. One of those pins is knocked down already. Right. A stand-up guy is on Netflix. That is true. And uh, yeah, we're gonna pitch to Netflix. And of course, the Saget thing. The funniest thing is that's where he's in business right now. You know, with Fuller House. Mm-hmm. Something's telling me I'm gonna be doing business with Netflix in the future. Netflix is great, and they love comedians. They have a ton of. Sp- I ton know. Of your friends have specials on Netflix. Yeah, all my friends except for me are on Netflix. I just got to shoot a special. Yeah. It doesn't cost a lot. Where should I shoot it? In Detroit, obviously. I should probably shoot it in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't have to be in Detroit, but but it's like 30 grand to shoot your own special. Brett shot his for 20 grand. Right, but you did know? he did yeah, but does the deal have to be worked out ahead of time or you No, just, you just you, go shoot it. You that's shoot your it, own special. You shoot it, that's it, and then you go sell it to where you sell it. You just shoot it, now you have it and boom, you go shop it. Yeah, and you can sell tickets too, right? Just so Totally. You know, are obligated to come because they've already paid for it. Great point. I do a show. I do the show at the Fox Theater. Boom! It's two thousand people, twenty dollars a head, forty thousand dollars. Boom! Just paid for the special. Just yeah. like that. Three cameras. You know, two in front of you, one sweeping crane. Believe me, when Showtime came and shot Sebastian, I fucking did my study. I studied that <laughs> shit. I was like, let me see how many cameras they. And they had seven, six cameras, I think. You know, they had one on them for a close-up, one on them for a medium. They had a side camera, you know, just like a cool look, and they had a sweeping crane. Right. And they had one backstage just to give you like a back a back of his. Did they film you? Yeah. To get a vibe of how they were gonna film the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and I'm so getting the, the tape. So you, yeah. So I'm when getting you get my own tape. Showtime special. It's Boom. 21 minutes, first 21 minute special ever done. <laughs> By the way, Netflix, you don't have. There is no time on Netflix. You could do a 26 minute special. Right. All it is is a continuum of, you know what I mean? Like the Fuller House pilot was like 
59 minutes or like 68 minutes. There was no one hour. It was like whatever it was, it was. You know what I mean? Time-wise. Like the format of half hour or one hour is like breaking up. I heard TBS is doing 11-minute shows. That'd be a great place for single mic. Yeah, I single mic. We haven't even talked about single mic. That's how much you have going on right now. And it keeps coming up, man. It keeps coming up, coming up. That's <sighs> Just got to keep putting it out there, and we're going to keep putting it out there on the podcast. I mean, if you want to reach out to the podcast, you reach out to Mike, Twitter, Instagram. Find me, yeah. My, what is my Twitter? Real Mike Young. At Real Mike Young. At Real Mike Young. Mm-hmm. At, at, at Real Mike Young. And at, 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 at Real Mike Young. The Twitter. podcast is also um, Mike Young STN uh, stories that need to T B T. Yeah. So just, just look up acronym. stories that need to be told. Yeah, it's also on Mike's Twitter. Um, but yeah, and we're on uh, play.it slash Mike Young. You tell your friends. I'm starting to get more followers on Instagram, which, listen, I'm not fighting this world of social media. I'm just. I only have so much energy to work, and and that's I gotta hire somebody like maybe like a couple hundred bucks a week to put f- seven hours in of social media time. You think that's smart? It's important. I mean, it's it's important to maintain a presence on social media, just because uh, just as this podcast is worldwide, such as social media. There's a lot of kids coming out of college right now that are looking for jobs. Totally. That are gonna be moving out to L.A. trying to crack it in this industry. That would be a good start for some of these guys. Yeah. The irony of social media, and I'll say it again, and this is not, you know, podcast. I wouldn't call social. This is like entertainment, and this is just like this is modern-day radio. But, like, the irony is, like, uh, anyone I know that's, like, all over social media all day long doing their thing, whatever their their business is, I'm being real, whatever their artistic endeavor is, is suffering. It's suffering. I'm telling you that I know I have I know people whose writing is not as good because they're all over social media. I know people whose stand up comedy is not flourishing because they're concerned about how many followers they have on what and what. And I'm just not gonna be that dude. I'm I'd rather fucking I'd rather do a write a great piece, do a great performance, fucking be the dopest with a pen and a pad than I would jumping out on social media. So that being said, obviously I, I do I should probably hire a kid, you know what I mean, just to fucking run social media, you know, to tweet every day, Instagram every day, you know, whatever the fuck it is. But it's a uh, it's an interesting thing, man. The thing about social media is that you want people to feel as though they can engage with you at their leisure, but also at your leisure, because it, that's it's just become such a smaller world these days, and. The, the engagement, and I've seen it happen. I've seen, you know, uh, and I know that people know that I also produce uh, Michael Rappaport's podcast. And when we started I Am Rappaport, Michael had probably 50 to 60,000 less Twitter followers, 50 to 60,000 less Instagram followers. And he's unbelievable at social media. He's so good at it. And it's I believe it's because he's so good at engaging with people and people love it and you know uh, that's what you're doing with the podcast i think you could do it with social media it's just you ha- just as you found your own lane with comedy you'd have to find your own lane totally with social media no i could do it but i'm just saying as a person that has only you only have so much energy in your body in your fucking brain i gotta i'm not making excuses but writing is different than just 
Rappaport doesn't write scripts in the day. Uh, he works his ass off as an actor, as a performer, and he's and he, when he's on, he's on. But for me, when I when I sit down to write, that's like a four hour chunk of time. That I don't know, man. Maybe I gotta figure out a redistribution of energy to to put towards social media. I don't fucking know. I think that I don't know. I, I like you're doing something right, and the shift of focus is is always good because it gives you perspective. You're doing what you do because. And you do it well, so don't jump into all this other stuff when you can, you know, get a kid that is socially media savvy, and you can do that. I mean, that's it's not yeah. you're it's not what man. I do. Not Just what keep do. doing what you're doing, but have an idea of what your voice would be on social media. Whether you're doing it, you're having someone else do it. That's the most important thing because there is a whole world of people out there, millions and millions of people who will find this podcast and will find out about your social media as time passes. Yep. Don't you think True Mike story. Is, is single Mike, Jordan? Don't you think he's that's, that's his, like, isn't that the oh, voice? Oh, yeah. I mean, single Mike is, single that's Mike. my thing. Jeez. That's I come out on stage, I came out on stage in the Beacon, that was the first thing I said, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm single Mike, you know? And look- I don't plan on being single for it's not about being single it's the it's the idea of a single entity also you know what I mean it's not just like remaining single right. avoiding relationships I'm in three of them you know what I mean <laughs> I'm in relationships mm -hmm. uh, you know it's just that that voice that point of view for me is strong and it's, I and it, I feel it too because it is a coupled up world out there and I dig it and but there's a reason that there's 65% of people are getting divorced and people are doing the wrong thing and not everybody is comfortable being single I just found a lane for the moment where I am fucking comfortable as hell being single. Sure. I dig meeting different girls. I dig dating different girls. I don't hurt anybody's feelings. I'm honest up front. I like going to the comedy store when I want to. I like coming home when I want to. I like sitting there eating a fucking tuna melt in front of ESPN. Nobody's yelling at me. You know what I mean? And maybe it's just because I haven't found that chick that like is down for me and isn't like sucking my blood. Like my last three exes, you know what I mean? Just blood, you know, they're good girls, but just like sucking the energy. It's just, I'm in, I, I'm digging the zone I'm in right now. I'm just digging it. So you know? single Mike, I mean, on the surface, it's like a single guy, but it's the deeper meaning is like your, your independence. I mean, it's, it's, it's being this one entity, like you said. I mean, it's so much deeper than that. There's yeah, so much course. more to single. Single Mike could be married with 10 kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he does have 10 kids. <laughs> I met three of them this week when I was in Detroit. <laughs> They're, They're great cute. athletes. Those kids are cute. Uh, so all right, yo. So it's 422. Anthony wants us out of here. Or not. But I was just going to say, you know, fourth. we're going we're gonna to wrap up this episode. This has been great. This has been episode one of volume three. My brother Rob in, in L.A. from Detroit spending a week about to just walk into the mountains. Last time he walked the mountains at Russell Peters, he fell down a mountain. He's not going to do that again because he's smarter now. And Jordy, my sidekick, knows that we will stay consistent with this podcast and yo, this is Mike Young, stories that need to be told. Find me at Real Mike Young on Twitter, The Real Mike Young on Instagram, and just check out the podcast and hopefully you enjoy it and fire away and ask me any questions you want, you know, when you find me. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>